Hello and welcome. Here to Lead is for leaders who are looking for practical insight and hands-on tools and advice on how to unleash the power in their leadership to get things done. I'm your host, Kelly Barkovas. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We have been talking about affecting change in our Here to Lead series, where we are learning how to leverage our leadership to execute strategy, affect change, and drive results. In our last few episodes, we've been talking about change. The final factor in the process of change is time. Time is the simplest of elements and also the most challenging. We've already discovered and learned that change is the intersection of discernment, discovery, and determination. And determination is the superpower of change. And we need it because change is so hard. And we need that resolve and the ability to overcome all the obstacles and resistance and pushback that we're going to get when it comes to change. Time is definitely an element of that superpower because we get impatient. We need endurance. To affect change, we need to play the long game. As we've been discussing, change does not happen in an instant or in a meeting or with one decision. It is a process and it takes time. The overwhelming nature of change is what causes many to lose heart, both leaders and their teams. In order to truly affect change, you as a leader must stand the test of time. This is where your leadership skills will be tested the most, and this is why your company and your team need you. You were hired to keep them focused and motivated, and most importantly, to go the distance. Now, we've talked in the last couple of episodes that we know that change happens when operational excellence and courageous decisions happen consistently over a prolonged period of time. A new activity, a new habit, a new process consistently performed over time equals change. So in the context of affecting change, what is it that we need to know about time? What's important here? Number one, time is relative. Number two, we need to go the distance. So let's talk about that statement that time is relative. As leaders, it's just our nature. We like answers to our questions, right? We don't like to leave things open. We don't like for things to be unknown. We like to problem solve. We like to know things. We pride ourselves on knowing things. Or if we don't know what we need to know, we pride ourselves on being able to find the answers we need, no matter what. I know I do. But when it comes to the question of how long will change take, the answer is it depends. Because In the case of change, time is relative. If I were to ask you, how long does it take to boil a pot of water? What would your answer be? I think your answer would be, well, that depends. Boiling a pot of water depends on many factors, right? So for example, if if I do ask you that question, we're going to boil a pot of water and we want to know how long it's going to take, well, what are you starting with? What is the beginning state of the water you are boiling? What is the temperature that the water is at? It matters if you're starting with blocks of ice or you're starting with water that's already warm. And it will determine how long it will take to get the pot to boiling temperature. The same is true with affecting change. Where are you starting from? How far away is your current state from your desired state? Secondly, how big is the pot? How much water are you trying to boil? Is it a small little pan with one cup of water in it? Guess what? That's going to boil really fast. Or is it a large pasta pot? and you've got maybe a couple of gallons in it. That will take longer. 
We had a seafood boil last May at our house, and we invited a few friends over to introduce this East Coast meal to my Southern Cali friends. A seafood boil is where you take a large pot of water, you season it with lemons and onions and salt and Creole seasoning, and once the water boils, you add potatoes, then you add corn, you add sausage, and then you start adding your seafood like clams, mussels, and shrimp, maybe crab. And once it's all done, it all cooks in the same pot. You dump it all out on the table and dive in. It's amazing. It's really good. And we used one of those propane cookers that you use to fry turkeys in, which is, I think, like 30 quarts of water. What is that? Seven and a half gallons. Um, Luckily, I knew from experience, I had learned the hard way. One year on our beach vacation, we had bought a seafood boil already packaged in this tin that you cooked on the grill and we vastly underestimated how long it was going to take for the water to even boil and I think it was 11 o'clock at night when we finally ate dinner and half the family more than half the family had gone to bed at that point which was good because we had more food for the few of us who had gone the distance but anyway you have to account when you're boiling that much water that it's going to take a long time for the water to boil Um, When we had this seafood boil and that 30 quarts in the propane cooker, it took about an hour and a half to two hours for the water to boil. If I hadn't accounted for this time, I would have been in a very difficult, precarious situation with my guests sitting around waiting for dinner. I probably would have had to order some takeout. The same is true for change. What is the scale or size of the change you are affecting? That is going to determine how long it's going to take you to get there. Finally, how intense is the flame? How high is the heat? If you have the burner on low, it's going to take much longer than if you turn the knob to high. When I'm boiling water for pasta or to cook hard-boiled eggs, I always put the pot of water on, I turn it up to high, I have the lid on because I want the water to boil as fast as possible. I'm usually in a hurry. I just want to get this done. I want to get the pasta cooking. I want to get the eggs cooked so I can go on and do the next thing. But in the context of change, how intense is your heat? And when I say that, I mean, what is your allocation of resources to make the change happen? Is it something that you can devote a lot of people to, a lot of cash to, a lot of time to? Or is it something that you need to fit in your schedule? You can only devote an hour or two a week to this project. And, you know, if that's true, it's going to take you a little bit longer than if you have a project team that can focus on nothing but implementing this change, right? And I think, as we've learned in previous episodes, most of us work in companies where we don't have dedicated teams who do nothing but implement projects all day. We're usually trying to fit them in and around our daily workload, right? And so you have to consider that, how how intense your allocation of resource is to make the change happen if you want to know how long it's going to take you to get there. All of these examples explain why time is relative and why it is impossible to answer the question of how long will this change take? Now, if we were making brownies instead of boiling a pot of water, the answer might be a little more exact because we have more control over all these factors and elements, right? When you make a pan of brownies, there are exact measurements of all the ingredients, right? You need, I don't know, I don't make brownies, but 
You might need a tablespoon of oil. You might need one or two eggs. You need a cup of the brownie mix or whatever it is. It's very exact and you have to follow it exactly. They tell you the pan size. They tell you to use a nine by 12 pan. They tell you what temperature to cook it at. So they're telling you exactly what you're going to put into this pan of brownies and how long you're going to cook it and at what temperature. So you can easily predict, yes, the brownies will be done in 45 minutes. That's great. But what's important to know is that affecting change is much more like boiling water. There's a lot of different variables and factors that you need to consider. And it's important to know that when you talk about affecting change and the fact that it takes courageous decisions and operational excellence and time, it means that you have to understand that it's not always predictable and you have to consider all these questions. Now, regardless of what your answers are to those questions, to affect change, you also must be willing to go the distance. What does go the distance even mean? Well, if you're a boxer, it means you last the entire fight or 15 rounds, right? You don't throw in the towel. You're still standing all 15 rounds. If you're a major league baseball pitcher, it means your arm held up for all nine innings, which I know is rare, but it can happen. And if you say that a pitcher went the distance, it means that he pitched the whole game. If you're a NASCAR driver in the Daytona 500, it means that you didn't crash and burn, that you didn't hit the wall, and that you didn't give up before crossing the finish line after 200 laps on a two and a half mile track. As a leader affecting change, Going the distance means that you do whatever it takes to stay in the game, to keep standing, to cross the finish line until your change is realized. One leadership team I worked with and that I was on had completed an employee survey, and we received valuable feedback about our culture. And the results of that survey told us that change was necessary in a few areas, especially in the way we worked with each other. As a result, we developed these three tenets of how we wanted to go forward and change the way we worked with each other. We wanted to develop a new path forward. We really did. And we were all bought into it. And so we developed these three tenets. And as a leadership team, we committed to kindness and respect, open and consistent communication, accountability, and operational excellence. And we made a big deal of it when we were ready to talk to our staff about it. We had these monthly, I think they were monthly, maybe quarterly culture building events. And after the beer and wine social hour, we stood up in front of our staff and they listened intently as we told them about this new culture that we were going to instill through these three tenants. The atmosphere was electric. It was full of positive energy and hope as the leadership team stepped up in front of the room and we had this life-sized contract made with all employees. And it said that, you know, as leaders, we are going to abide by these three tenets of kindness and respect, open and consistent communication, accountability, and operational excellence. And we made a really big deal about all of the the whole leadership team going up in front of the room, in front of all the staff and signing our name to it. And it was inspiring and impactful. It was an awesome meeting. It It was just really cool. We were high with the possibility of a new way forward at the end of that meeting. And we were high-fiving and cheersing each other after the ceremony. And we know from the last few episodes about change that it doesn't happen in a meeting like that, no matter how positive and upbeat it is, no matter how excited we are, no matter how much we high-five and cheers change did not happen in that room. Now, it was definitely the right first step. 
it was a big decision. We put that big decision out there in front of the team. But on its own, that signing ceremony did nothing to actually create the change we were committing to. In the days and weeks after this ceremony, the team, our staff, was really waiting and watching to see if we meant what we said. Would leadership really behave differently? Would some of us continue to raise our voices and yell when we were frustrated or badger staff about their work? Would we use dismissive and condescending tones? Would we address poor quality of work and hold teams to their deadlines and accountable for the end results? Would we step in and stop bullying and aggressive behavior in the office between the staff? The three tenants and the ceremony that we had were really an important anchor to set the expectations on this new culture we all wanted. But that change would only occur one way, in the day-to-day opportunities to courageously exhibit different behavior than we had in the past, to have our choices line up with those three tenants, right? We had the big decision, and then our daily choices had to line up with that. And we had to go the distance. It was the only way that change was really going to happen. And in this example that I'm giving you, did the change occur? To be very honest and transparent, I think, you know, it was going to be a journey. And that was a particular instance where I'm not sure there was a definite end date. When we talk about the size of the change, you know, back to the analogy of the boiling pot of water, It was a pretty big change we were asking of our leadership team and the culture at large. We wanted to completely do a 180 of how we had been behaving and treating each other. So it was a big change. And it was going to be a slow burn. You know, it wasn't one of those things where you could turn the heat up really high and allocate a bunch of resources at it, you know, throw a bunch of money or people or hours at it. It really was going to be a slow burn. And that's why I give it as this example we had to go the distance to make that change. And we had to be committed to that distance. And, you know, when I left the company, when I moved on from that role, it was still a work in progress. And it was something the organization was still committed to. The really good thing about having that big ceremony at the at the event with the employees was that it did give us an anchor and some language and a place to go back to and to hold ourselves accountable to. So if we did see each other making choices in the day-to-day that didn't align with our three tenants, we could call each other out on it and say, hey, remember that contract you signed? Remember when you said in front of everyone that you would be kind and have respect and that you would be open with your communication and consistent? Remember when you said all that? Well, That's not what I'm seeing from you right now. And we made it part of the performance reviews so that we could at least have it in front of us and talk about it. And so that meeting was really important, even though the change didn't occur there. Definitely a pot of water that was going to take a really slow burn, a long time for that behavior to become a fabric of the organization. To make that change happen, it definitely required going the distance. When I was in my early 40s, I became a triathlete for the first time. Now, before I go any further, let me just stop and clarify a sprint triathlete, which means I completed a swim, bike, run course with much shorter distances than the Ironman races you may associate with triathlons. But for me at that time in my life, the distances may as well have been Ironman because that's where my current state, my current state was very far away from any sort of triathlon, regardless of the distance. 
And my first event was the Iron Girl in Syracuse, New York. I had dreamt of doing a triathlon for close to 20 years, always searching for that post-college athletic challenge. I had bought a couple of books and read them and dreamt of doing it, but it stopped there. I was overwhelmed at the thought of attempting something so big, and I was afraid. Afraid I couldn't do it, afraid of trying, or just not ready to make that kind of courageous decision and commitment for change. And I remember at the time I had had this silver angel ornament hanging from a light pink ribbon on one of the knobs of my dresser ever since I had received it as a free gift for, I don't know, purchasing something at this cute little gift shop at the regional market. And there was a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt was engraved along the edge. And it said, you must do the thing you think you cannot do. And I walked by that ornament every day, and I meditated on that quote for a couple of years until one day in February 2009, I was at a real low point in my personal life. And when I walked by the ornament again, I decided that's exactly what I needed. I needed to do something I didn't think I could do. And around the same time, there was an article in the Sunday paper, and the article was discussing this controversy caused by the Iron Girl triathlon that was coming to Syracuse. And women were offended by the use of girl as opposed to women or iron woman. And this is what caught my interest. I was offended and angry, too, at first, if I'm being honest. How dare they call us girls? And that's what got me to read the article. But the story itself stayed with me and nagged at me every time I walked by that angel ornament. And I did some research into the event and wondered if I could really do this. I tried to convince some friends and my sister to do it with me, but they weren't interested. So I made the courageous decision to sign up by myself. Now, I began my training right away because I I knew I needed all the time I could get. I started to ride the stationary bike at the gym for an hour a week because it was winter time. It was February in upstate New York, so I couldn't get out on an actual bike. But I started riding the stationary bike for an hour a week, and I didn't really have the budget at the time to spend a lot of money in training, so I researched free swimming pools, found out that our city had a few with lap swims available. So I started swimming on Sunday afternoons. And the run was the easiest leg for me to train because I was already running, you know, at a 5K distance. I could run three miles easily, I guess. Not fast, but easily. I was not part of a fancy coaching group. My approach to the training for this event was very simple. I was simply training to go the distance. For each leg of the upcoming race, I began to train for slightly longer than the expected time for that leg. So I would swim for 30 minutes or a little bit longer. I would bike for at least an hour. And I would run for at least 30 minutes because I knew at least at a high level that those three events would take me about that long. Also, there was a local triathlon club that held training sessions every Wednesday night in the summer. And we practiced all three legs. And we we actually did little mini triathlons and did shorter distances. But we were able to complete all three of those sports over a couple of hours. And the very first night I went to one of those training sessions, I was so nervous. But when the night was over, I knew that I would complete the Iron Girl. But here's the thing that I want to really share about this story is that signing up didn't get me ready or talking about it with my friends or sisters. It took time. It really, it just took time. I was moderately in shape when it came to running, but swimming and biking were new for me as an adult anyway. I had never really done those competitively or as a form of exercise. So I had to account for that beginning state. I was also working full-time and could only allocate so many hours per week to my training. The size of the change I needed was quantifiable. I had definite distances. Someone else with a different beginning state or someone, you know, someone who was in much better shape with me, maybe a competitive swimmer 
or someone who was already cycling might have gotten there a lot quicker than I did. They might not have needed five months to get ready for this. But with my beginning state, I needed the five months. Or perhaps someone who could devote hours and hours per week or was willing to devote hours and hours per week might have been ready in a shorter period of time. But it took me five months to train and and get prepared from when I signed up to the day of the event. And so that I wasn't overwhelmed by the size of this endeavor, I broke it down into sections and I trained for each leg. I didn't get caught up in fancy gadgets or spend a lot of money. I trained and prepared to go the distance. I didn't train to win or to achieve outrageously optimistic times. I didn't train to get first place because that wasn't my goal. Could be your goal, but it wasn't my goal. I trained to finish. I trained and prepared to go the distance. How do you know when you're done? I think it depends on what you're doing. If it's boiling water, you know when the water is popping and gurgling at a rolling boil. I mean, we just have come to know what that looks like, right? If you're making brownies, it's when the toothpick or the knife comes out of the center clean without any chocolatey goo on it. Within our organizations, when it comes to affecting change, we know we've achieved the desired change when resistance has stopped. Maybe acceptance has occurred. The new process or initiative has become standard operating procedure or habit, second nature. The team doesn't question it anymore. They don't question you. They're not in your office every Monday saying, oh my God, do we have to do it this way? They just do it. You really know you've arrived when you don't even have to chime in as the leader. The team is holding each other accountable to the new way of doing things. The bottom line is you'll know when you know. And remember, change is not for the faint of heart. It is hard. But I promise you this, it will give you courage and strength and resilience that you didn't know you had. In order to affect change, you must give it time. You must understand the details relative to the particular change and then go the distance, leading your team with focus, motivation, and determination. After all, it's what we're here for. Now, as you know, at the end of every episode, it is time for your turn in the seat. So this week, I want you to think about three different examples of affecting change in your career, in your current role. Maybe it's change that you need and haven't been able to accomplish yet. Maybe it's change you've witnessed from afar of another department in your company. But think of three different examples, no matter how big or how small, just three different examples of affecting change. And it doesn't even have to be maybe you weren't the leader. Maybe you were still a staff person and you were participating in the change but not leading it. It doesn't matter. Think of three different examples. Number two, think about the relevant factors that determined how much time was required. What was the beginning state of your pot of water? How intense was the flame? How intense were the resources that were allocated to this change? How big was the change that you were asking of people? How far away were you from your current state versus your goal? With these three examples, did you go the distance? If the answer is yes, how long did it take? How did you know when you crossed the finish line? What were the keys to your success? And then if you didn't go the distance, how long did you make it before you threw in the towel? And what was it that caused you to give up? Finally, what did you do to keep the team motivated and focused for the duration? What could you have done better? 
And again, if you weren't the leader in any of these examples, what did you observe? Whether, like I said, it was from a neighboring department or perhaps you were at the staff level, what do you think your boss could have done differently to to go the distance? What do you think they could have done to keep the team motivated and focused for the duration? All right. So think about all those things when it comes to affecting change. Remember, change is the intersection of discernment, discovery, and determination. And to affect change, we need operational excellence, courageous decisions, and finally, time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you got something useful out of it. You can check out kellybargos.com slash podcast. You can share, review, and subscribe to Here to Lead. I would appreciate it. And in the next episode, I am going to give you a couple of guardrails and real-life examples of affecting change. So be sure to tune in to the next episode. We'll talk soon.